Rodgers scrambles he's left, winds up, Green Bay. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Woot NY Show. I am Joshua, and I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Woot. Oh, no, actually, sorry, sorry, guys, I've grabbed the wrong envelope. It's uh, it's not Josh <laughs> Woot, it's, uh, it's our friend, our friend of the show. We had him on last year to cover the NFL Draft. His name is John Ledyard. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ledyard NFL Draft. His work can be found at Inside the Pylon. As an NFL draft analyst, he also covers the Steelers for Scout.com, which is handy for today's news. And he's the co-host of a couple of podcasts now, uh, co-host of Breaking the Plane with Matt Williamson and co-host of Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with Luke Eastling. Welcome back to the show. Uh, your first time co-hosting. It's uh, it's great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to this. Did the show with you guys last year, and it was one of the better shows I was on. You get to be on so many that they start to not stand out after a while. But your this show always stood out in my mind, uh, the Wooten Why, and just kind of coming on uh, here and uh, talking prospects with you guys. So I'm excited to do it again this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's great, and you know you killed it last year. So uh, when we started to put together our uh, our dream list for this year's draft and and fantasy and all that sort of stuff, we said John Ledyard, uh, we're going to get him on. So hopefully we can get you on again as well to talk more prospects rather than combine uh, closer to the draft. But uh, obviously you'll you'll learn more from the combine. We'll get to that. In a second, I uh, mentioned at the top of the show uh, that uh, Josh isn't here, and I made a bit of a, a really bad Oscars joke um, after last night's uh, Oscars <laughs> stuff-up. In your mind, John, what was worse, the, the stuff-up last night or the Falcons uh, in the Super Bowl? Uh, Falcons in the Super Bowl still. Uh, it's going to take a while for anything to top that, in my opinion. I, I actually don't really watch the Oscars, but I obviously have gathered since then kind of what happened last night. Uh that was pretty crazy. Uh, that was pretty pretty embarrassing. Um, but man, the Falcons blowing that lead in the Super Bowl is that's an all timer, man. That's one of the greatest joke jobs I've ever seen. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree with you. I, I love the Oscars. I love um, I'm a big film and, and movie buff, so I uh, I, I liked yeah. it. Um, uh, some of it I didn't particularly like Justin Timberlake's performance, but I did put it on the poll on our uh, on our Twitter page what was more painful, and sixty five percent agree with us. It was the Falcons. Uh, uh, yeah, choke job. That's that's how I would put it. Uh, so let's uh, let's move on to one more pressing need before getting into our news. Uh, you know, we talk about food a lot on this podcast, and an interesting topic came up because the Prime Minister of Iceland last week mentioned that he would ban pineapple on pizza if he could do it. Do you fancy pineapple or pizza, or are you one of those people that doesn't like pineapple on pizza? Heck no, not not even a little bit, man. Oh, no, I'm a I'm a meat on pizza type guy. I just cheese pizza, you know, that's all fine with me. But uh, I can't do pineapple. I saw today some dude was talking about mayonnaise and peas on a pizza, or that was oh no, that's disgusting. I, I I like pineapple on pizza. I'm one of those people that does, and that's why it's a bit of controversial <laughs> debate here, but. Uh, yeah, mayonnaise and peas, no thank you. Uh, we have we have a, a franchise down here called Crust that do sort of gourmet-style pizza. I think there's mayonnaise and peas on, on a pizza down here, and that's that's a big no-no in my house. But I, I'm generally with you. I'm more of a just meat, just stack as much meat as I can on anything, and, I, and I'll eat it, and that's just that's just the way we roll. Mm. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into some NFL news. 
All right, we'll start with the Steelers, your beloved Steelers. They signed wide receiver Antonio Brown to a four-year, $68 million extension through 2021. It'll pay Brown $17 million annually and makes him the NFL's highest-paid wide receiver, passing A.J. Green's $15 million average. Uh, you know, he's the top top wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, you know, he's he, some people will say Julio Jones, but... Generally, I think if Antonio Brown's not in the conversation, then you, you're starting the conversation all wrong. He is, he is one of the best we've ever seen, and uh, I think this this deal is pretty pretty spot on and deserving. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is pretty much anybody you talk to that knows anything considers Brown a one or two is among receivers in the NFL. He's 28 years old, so you're getting a guy that's still clearly in the prime of his career. Um, you're getting him on a deal that will probably take him probably close to the end of the prime of his career, if you had to guess. Um, yeah, I mean, this, he has staying power. His abilities have staying power. And, uh, you know, so I think that uh, because of that, you know, the analytics guys are kind of already looking at this as, as a really positive deal, team friendly, all things considered, you know, for what you have to get for an elite talent. And so I think because of that, uh, you know, you, you're talking about a team that does business very well and rarely wastes money in, in Pittsburgh, rarely spends big money on players that they're not confident in. Then if the, maybe the biggest thing was the fact that, a lot of people jumped to conclusions when the the Facebook Live thing went down that, oh, man, he's bad for the locker and bad for ba- – the Steelers do not keep those kind of people around, period. They just don't, and they haven't. Uh, so I think that because of that, you look at a situation like this, and you can easily say that a lot of that stuff was overblown, as I said oh, at the time that it was, and this was kind of inevitable that this would end up going down. Yeah, the the, the talk that he wouldn't re-sign with them, I, I just threw it out the window. I thought it was utterly ridiculous. The guy has been a professional on and off the field for, for many, many years, and one slip up like that, which he apologized for and was completely overblown, was not going to change right. anything yeah. in that building whatsoever. And you're right, I think it takes him, you know, he, he should age quite well. He hasn't, he's been relatively injury-free as well, and... And the way he plays the game, he's not taking monster, monster hits. He's uh, he's very safe with the ball. And, um, yeah, I think this is a, a really, really good deal. And the cap's always going up. So I think, you know, sort of it didn't overblow A.J. Green's $15 million, So that's not like it was $25 million a year. It was it was just, you know, an extra $2 million a year. So I think that was a, a very, you're right, very team-friendly deal. Right, and I think that that's obviously big for Pittsburgh. And like you said, I mean, they're going to want to do other things in in the future, you know, that I think are going to be critical. So, um, you know, with, with Le'Veon Bell and potentially with Stephon Tewitt, maybe Ryan Chazier. So getting a deal like this, obviously you're going to pay for an elite player. And, you know, people could say, oh, you overpay for that. You know, it, man, you're not going to – everybody's overpaid in today's NFL, to be honest, at this point. And, yeah, if you're trying to get elite players on your team and keep them on your team – you know, you're going to be dealing some mint to be able to do that. So, you know, all things considered, I love the deal. I was pretty excited about it. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about the way that the things are headed, you know, franchise tagging the Le'Veon Bell and uh, being able to move forward with that uh, and evaluate how he does this year and hopefully work toward an extension um, in the you know in coming months uh, is going to be big for, for this franchise because got the opportunity to lock down, you know, maybe the best receiver in the game and the best running back in the game. Um, for the prime of Ben's, you know, for as Ben, you know, finishes out his career here, you know, the window's there to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, and yep. you need pieces like this around. So go do it. Exactly, and then even if Ben, you know, not retires this year, which again I think that's completely overblown as well. Uh, but you know, even if Ben only plays two or three years, you know, the next guy that they bring in is going to have a, a lot of help because they have Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell locked mm-hmm. down, hopefully, and that that makes a, a transition for a young quarterback, or even if they bring in a, you know, a veteran. You know, to to you know, just to be a stopgap or anything like that for for a new guy, having those two players is immediately going to give you a big boost. 
Yeah, big move in the right direction for Pittsburgh. I was really excited about it. Yep. Uh, moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs. They re-signed right guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. Oh, God, I hope I got that right. Um, you got it. <laughs> yes, yeah, sweet. Five-year, $41.25 million extension through 2022. We don't really have too much guard talk here, but it is the offseason, and this guy has a really good story. And, you know, for him to, to, to sign a, a deal that includes $20 million guaranteed and, and, and all that sort of stuff, it makes him the fourth highest paid guard in the NFL behind, you know, Kalichi Assembly, David DeCastro, and Kyle Long. Considering he was a six-round pick out of McGill College in Canada, I think this is a pretty cool story, and I'm, I'm happy for I love seeing like rags to riches stories like that. Alan Hearns was another one last year, so it's it's really good to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was crazy because um, Duke Mannyweather and Brandon Thorne were just on one of my shows, Breaking the Plane, talking about their all underrated NFL offensive line team from the past year, and Tardif was one of their guards on that team. And uh, Duke mentioned that two years ago he didn't really even like LDT. And now this past year, just the the improvements he made watching his game improve significantly uh, in that time period. He was much, much higher on him this year and, and thought he was a really good player. This is a decent amount of money. <laughs> I don't know how much you want money you want to lock up in a guard like this, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's, you know, there's some concern there, and I understand that. Uh, but the Chiefs are keeping a good player who's ascending and tough and physical and works very hard. Um, and so I think that he's going to be a good player for them. Will he be worth, you know, the kind of money that they're paying out? I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot to say. I think they did, um, they did that think, similarly with Eric Fisher when they signed him before he really hit his prime to this, this huge deal. So it, it seems to be their their mode when it comes to offensive linemen. Yes, I think they do, and uh, even Fisher, you know, he's not worth what they paid him probably. No. So um, you've got to keep that in mind. But that, you know, he's 26, and so maybe you know he continues to uh, to work and work and get better and better. And um, I think he can be, you know, a top half of the league guard. Um, you know, maybe a top 20 guard uh, when it's all said and done. Um, do you want to lock up a lot of money in that? Uh, that's what I. That's what I wonder. So I don't know. Um, you know, he continues to get better. He was really raw coming in. Uh, maybe there's a ceiling there that we don't quite see. You know, I think it's like I said. I think he's a good player. I just wonder yeah. if they eventually regret having that amount of money locked up in a player like him. Exactly. It is. It is, seems like a lot to be the fourth highest paid guard when, when you consider his backgrounds. Uh, uh, background. Uh, and you're right. It, it's probably more of a projection uh, signing rather than body of work. So maybe they're. They're projecting mm-hmm. some insane ceiling, like you said, that we don't possibly know about. But uh, I'm glad to see him getting some love from uh, from Brandon Thorne and, and all those guys. That was a great uh, a great article. I uh, mm-hmm. enjoyed that uh, the other week. Speaking of offensive linemen, the Jets released Nick Mangold. It saves them about $9.1 million from their cap, and uh, they've cleared about $26.5 million now in just gutting their offensive line. Ryan Clady and... Brino G. Camini and Nick Falk as well also all released. So complete rebuild mode in 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 the Jets in the New York City. Uh what where do you see Nick Mangold as a as a prospect now, considering his age and now his injury history, uh, you know, as a free agent? I think he'll probably come pretty cheap, but he has starting ability at a center position that you know, I think a lot of teams would like an upgrade at. Uh, so he's going to be an upgrade for a number of teams, and I think he'll be relatively cheap at this career. My guess is he probably goes somewhere where he feels like he can you know, win or contribute early on, uh, You know, just thinking off the top of my head. Uh, Arizona could make sense um, You know, as a team that 
you know, I don't know how he how he views them as a contender, but they've needed a center for a while, and so he uh, could be a potential fit there and make some sense there. Um, Baltimore's needed an upgrade over Jeremy Zuda for a while. He could view a situation like that um, as favorable yep. for him. Um, there could be a couple of other spots in the NFC that I'm sure are slipping my mind. I think the Packers stand to lose a center or two maybe. Uh, yep. you know, so he'll be looking at situations like that. Um, you know, he's going to have a number of suitors, I think. And so he's going to have basically have his choice of, you know, money. I think relatively speaking, I don't think he's going to get paid big bucks at his, you know, I think he's 33 and he's had major injuries in the past before. And, you know, his body's probably breaking down, but if he's got one or two more good years in him and he can help a team, I think he can get a deal like that and you know, be, a de- be a decent upgrade for a team. So I think he'll be sought after. I just don't know if the money will be, you know, significant. Yeah, he comes at a comes at a nice, healthy discount, uh, given that he is not very healthy and that he is 33 years old. His replacement is someone you might know a little bit more about than the rest of us. Wesley Johnson was the Steelers' uh, draft pick. Uh, have you? Do you know much about him, or what? Have, what can you tell us about him? I think he was, uh, he was a tackle when he was here, and he got cut. I think after the first training camp, if I recall correctly. I think yeah, they waived him. Early on the season, maybe he made the, the first round of cuts, but he ended up getting waived, I think, in season for some reason. Uh, they, they brought in somebody, and he was the guy to get chopped. And so he's been with the Jets for the last couple of years. The reports are that he's gotten better and better there. I uh, was playing guard. Um, I haven't actually seen him since he moved to center. He's 26, and so you know I guess they like the way he's developed, but I haven't seen him play center at all and haven't seen him play really the last couple of years um, other than a few reps here mm. and there. So I can't really speak to where he's at right now in his career. Um, but obviously, you know, they feel okay about him because they pegged him right away. I think, I think they said, or somebody said, some Jets writers were saying, yeah, Wesley Johnson will be the starter. So maybe they like him a lot, or maybe they planned on drafting somebody or bringing somebody in to compete. It's a bad draft for, uh, not, not bad, but well, it's not as deep. For centers, rough. Yeah, it's very <laughs> rough. And I feel sorry for whoever is playing quarterback, uh, for the Jets because I, I honestly can't name an offensive lineman that they have anymore. You're giving it Clady's God. I think, yeah, I think Winters and Carpenter are the only ones sort of there. So it's interesting to see what, see what they do, but it's a complete rebuild mode in there. You mentioned franchise tags earlier, and this is the last little bit of news before we preview the combine. Obviously there's been some tagging going on, and I just got an alert uh, then that uh, Melvin Ingram is is just been tagged by the San Diego, Mm -hmm. not San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, so he joins uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, Le'Veon Bell, Chandler Jones, and K1 Short as those that have been tagged. Any surprises in there for you? You don't let pass rushers hit the market, man. And Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, Melvin Ingram, um, who else got tagged? Uh, another pass rusher got tagged. K1 Short Chandler and Chandler Jones. Jones, yep. Yeah, Chandler Jones, even K1 Short, interior rusher, you know, the yep. Those guys, you, they don't hit the market, period. You know, they just don't. And, and it was weird. Ingram was in a weird situation because they just drafted Bosa and, you know, how much they, they drafted Emmanuel and they liked him. They were trying to get him on the field. And I think Atauchu has crazy upside there and they need to get him on the field more often. Uh, they, you know, that group can be, if they bring an Ingram back now, they, that group can be ferocious if mm-hmm. they get Ingram and uh, Atauchu off the edges on long and late downs and, and kick Bosa inside and just move those guys. I mean, Ingram will rush from the inside at times. I mean, I mean, that could be a deadly group up front, uh, you know, if they're able to get all those guys on the same page. So, um, you know, I think that uh, to me, Ingram is one of the best passers, the most underrated players in the game. Um, he does so many things for San Diego, for L.A. He stays on the field a ton uh, for them. I think he plays like 89 percent of their snaps. He's one of the highest in terms of edge percentage snaps for edge guys. He's he's one of the highest in the league. I think after Vernon and Pierre Paul and Khalil Mack, I think he was fourth in the league this I past know, year. So I know he, uh, he's, Colts Twitter was 
dying for him to hit the mark. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, it was just kind of one of those weird things because you kind of heard about Pierre. You heard about all these other guys that were probably going to get tagged, and you weren't hearing anything about him. So it just kind of started to you – know, people started to get hope, I think, elsewhere that he could. But I, those guys just typically don't hit the mark. This would have been a unique situation because of what they kind of already had in place. But mm. it looks like they're pretty passionate about bringing him back. He does a lot of things for them. He drops into coverage more than any other edge guy in the league too. So he does a lot for them. I think they'll be glad to have him back. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of long-term deal they work out. But, uh, you know, same thing with Short. And, you know, I think Pierre Paul's a little bit overrated compared to where most people rank him, um, especially since the injury. I think I would be worried about paying that. But, again, the reality is, you know, you, you the Giants play, play Vernon and Pierre Paul 92% of their snaps. Yep. And you don't want to lose a guy like that that's a key cog of your team. Absolutely. Um, and so – I think they do everything they can to keep him around, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, JPP's tag costs $17 million. So I know the Giants are expected to to work aggressively to extend Pierre Paul because I don't think you want to be paying him $17 million. Um, I agree with you. I think he's great, but I don't think he's he's worth $17 million uh, for for a season. Uh, Great. I I think he needs to be a bit less than that in your cap hit, um, especially when you need to improve your offensive line and you might be trying to spend up on uh, some big bucks in, in free agency. So like they did last year, um, they've got plenty of people to pay. So it is interesting to see how, how that goes. Uh, also expected to be tagged is Tremaine Johnson, Kirk Cousins and Eric Berry. Although Eric Berry, the, the report from Adam Schefter is the Chiefs are making a strong push to try and get him signed before the, the tag deadline. The aim is to make him the highest paid safety in the league at over $12.5 million a year. Um, Barry has pretty much come out and said that he won't play on the tag. So if they do get a deal done, it might allow Kansas City to tag Dontari Poe. But as it stands, uh, it looks like Eric Barry will be tagged. But he'll probably have a deal done before the start of the season. Yeah, I, there's a, a number of interesting situations out there. But I think Barry's one of the big ones, you know, to me, because the Chiefs need a player like that. I think that's really, really important for them. Um, so I think that that deal, you know, if it gets done or whatever ends up happening in that situation, I think that that's, you know, the way to go for them. Yep. And, you know, letting Don Terry Poe walk and, you know, not as, not as big a deal. In my Especially opinion. with Chris Jones coming, coming along. I, I still can't believe that he, yeah. he went in the second and, round last year. Right. And, and Jay Howard and Alan yep. Bailey coming back from injury, you know, they didn't have those guys at all last year. And those guys are both studs, I think. So, yep, exactly. um, I think that yeah, they'll they'll be okay. I think if they can draft somebody in the middle rounds, they'll be fine. Yep, and uh, Eric Barry, you know, worth every cent. Uh, he he single handedly won them two games last year, uh, including you know beating the uh, NFC champions. Uh, that was all on on the back of his uh, incredible instincts and incredible play. So he's absolutely worth every dime. And I think tw- over twelve and a half million a year is is fine because he is probably one of the best safeties. In the NFL, obviously Kirk Cousins we expect, but there might be some murmurs, uh, you know, at the combine about what the scenario is there. I know there's some talk about some potential trade with San Francisco, reported by Daniel Jeremiah. So we'll wait and see how that pans out, but not expected to be tagged. Alshon Jeffrey and Terrell Pryor, you know, tagging Jeffrey would cost $17.5 million, um, considering hasn't played a full 16-game season since his, I think it was his rookie year. And he's been suspended for PEDs. No way you're tagging Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, I think so. I think he's a really good player, though. Um, And I think that the Bears are going to have to do work at receiver now in a draft that isn't particularly deep. So uh, it opens up a big weakness for them. Uh, There's no doubt there. You know, maybe you don't tag him, but I think he's really good. Um, And I know there's the other concerns, and maybe that's, you know, legitimate, but. 
I don't think Kevin White's ready to be a number one, and he's had significant injury issues. And after that, Absolutely. I mean, Meredith's a solid player. He looked like last year. You know, he, I thought he played well. You know, Eddie Royals on the downside of his career. You know, there's just nobody else really you get excited about here. So it's a big, big issue for the Bears uh, Jeff, if Jeffrey does walk. So, um, you know, something to monitor, I think, in that situation. Someone's going to ridiculously I, – I, I know he's a good player, but someone's going to ridiculously overpay for Alshon Jeffrey, right? Like, he could get more than mm-hmm. Antonio Brown if he hits if hits the free mark. I don't think he'll get that much because, especially the suspension, you know, I don't know how much that will you know, play into it and everything, but uh, I think that he'll get – He'll probably get more than the Bears were willing to put up for him, you know. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of the thing. If you want good players, and, and Jeffrey is definitely a really good player at the receiver position, you've got to buck up and pay. And if you don't buck up and pay, that's fine, but you better have a plan in place to make the hurt, you know, less yep. obvious <laughs> um, when your team takes the field. Because you can't just say, nah, I'm not going to spend money in this way. In today's league, you can't just say, nah, I'm not going to spend money on this guy and then leave the position and not do anything, you know, about it or or not, you know, suitably do anything about it. And so that's going to be an onus on the Bears in a draft that I think is solid at receiver, but I don't think it's great at receiver. You know, where else do they look to add to that core? Because, you know, that's the biggest. I mean, this team can run the ball. They have a good offensive line. Their defense has played really well last year, actually, and they had yeah. some injuries. And so th- this team isn't as far off from winning as some people think. And I know they're in a tough division, so, you know, maybe it isn't obvious right away, but they, they could be competitive, and they were one of the most injury-prone teams in the league last year. You know, I'm no John Fox fan, but this team isn't as far off as people think. But there's gaping holes at receiver and a quarterback right now, and and that I think will need to be addressed pretty heavily if they want to be able to be a team that actually does compete and makes good on some of the talent that they have. Yeah, absolutely agree, and I'm I'm with you. I'm not a huge John Fox fan, but he's done a hell of a job in terms of uh, building a, a solid roster and and, and making them competitive. Um, uh, he's always been a guy that can get you into the conversation. I just don't know if he could ever get you over the hump. Uh, to to win that title or, or or be a dominant team, so he's done a he's done a hell of a job. Maybe he's found his niche as someone that takes over some really bad teams and then just gets them uh, up into the you know the mediocre level and then uh, and then walks on somewhere else. Um, all right, it's time for our NFL Combine preview. It's showtime. Let's and, do it. And uh, it it's mostly going to be me interviewing you because you're on top of this uh, draft a hell of a lot more than me. You're you're a scout for Inside the Pylon. And you do a draft podcast, and it's and it's great, and you should check it out. It's the Locked On NFL Draft. It's every day, daily episode. Uh, you had Dane Brugler on today, I'm, I read correctly? The days are getting mixed up. Uh, yep. He is coming on. He'll be on Tuesday show. It's always gotcha. weird when you record. and Yeah, he's coming on. Uh, he'll be on Tuesday show. So when people hear this, he, yes, we'll have already recorded with him, and it'll probably be live. <laughs> yep, sweet. Well, I, uh, yeah, well, it kind of doesn't help when I ask you to come on and it's monday night where you are and it's tuesday in the day here so you know it's always it's always interesting (laughs) yeah we need to get we need to get australia on american time i'm happy to work you know have my days off during the night and work during the day i'm sure we could i'm sure everyone (laughs) all 23 million of australians would would love that all right the combine obviously you know it plays a role in in putting the puzzle piece together when it comes to an overall evaluation of players and and obviously, tape weighs the most in evaluating a player, and I think most most scouts will agree. But how important, you know, are these testing numbers for prospects and, and, and the combine in the overall perspective and picture of things? I think that it's very important, actually. And I don't know if I'd always said that. I would have always said it's important, but I don't know if I would have always said it's very important. And it's 
But what's important about it needs to be quantified too. You know, for every position and every style of player, you know, not the same thing is, you know, the same thing doesn't carry the same importance. So, you know, for edge guys, I don't really care how fast they run on the 40, you know, within reason, you know, I just, I care more about their 10 yard splits. I care more about their jumps to tell me explosiveness. I care more about their three cones and their short shuttles, you know, to tell me about, you know, their agility, their flexibility, their, you know, can they bend the edge and they do things like that. I care more about those kind of things, I think, than I do uh, some of the traditional things. But and with some players, you know, is the 40 an important thing for receivers? Absolutely. I think it is. But is it important for Mike Williams that he run a 4-3? No. Is it important for for uh, for um, John Ross that he run a 4-3? Yes, Absolutely. You know, Ross can't be slower than we think he is because that's his calling card. Mike Williams isn't a burner. We know that he can't be four seven probably, but he doesn't have to be four three either. So it's important to understand it only within the context of the tape. If a player's trump card is speed, they better be fast. If a player has another trump card, as long as they're within reason fast and they're not, you know, unusably slow, um, then I think that you give a little grace there, you know, so it depends on the prospect. It depends on the position, what you're looking at at these different events and obviously the workouts, you know, you're not going to care what quarterbacks run per se, you know, and things like that. Uh, but you're going to care about the drills. And I think the drills are a bigger part of this. It gets kind of overshadowed people like, well, it's not football. Well, for part of it, it kind of is, you know, I mean, not with pads on and obviously not the same, but there, this stuff still matters. You can see routes, you know, you can see throwing mechanics, you can see arm strength, you can see trajectory, velocity. I mean, there's a lot that can be measured here and it's not the same as a game. You know, I don't want to make it sound that way, but it's important. No question. And so, yeah, I, this is not only is it a very fun part of the puzzle for us um, and maybe for the prospects it isn't, I don't know, you know, but I think it's a very important part of the process for them and for teams and then the meetings and the whiteboard sessions, you know, that's all important as well too. So I think that, um, you know, this process and, and what will happen, you know, this week with the combine, uh, it's going to be very, very important for not only, you know, those of us who are building boards, but also those of us who are projecting players to the next level. Yep. Uh, on Mike Williams, you, you don't want a Dorana Wilson uh, type uh, performance where, uh, he puts in the, the slowest time. I think what Dorana did slower times than some, some offensive line. He did like a four nine or something. It was unbelievable. I mean, he looked that slow on tape too. And he was slow. <laughs> I think uh, everyone started calling him Dejogia after that, um, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious. So uh, hopefully we can get a, a you know fun little narrative from from a name in this combine. But I don't know if we'll, we'll be able to get as lucky as we were last year. Uh, you mentioned as fun for the players. Joe Thomas sort of compared it to being cattle prodded. Uh, during the week and, and told players to just lie and said that they love the combine and they're having fun and all that sort of stuff, which is an interesting perspective from a from a guy that's highly regarded in the NFL. So that was very interesting. You answered uh, some of my next question, which was, uh, so I might skip ahead and then double back, but, you know, you mentioned how important certain drills are for certain positions and you mentioned, you know, the 40 time for corners and receivers and, and things like, and the jumps for edge players, but... Is there any other certain posi- like certain drills that you know not many people pay attention to that are more important for for other positions? Is there you know for tight ends? Is there something you look at or you know what what is it that stands out like that you you prioritize for certain positions? I think forties are pretty important for corners. Uh, just understanding uh, what they're going to be in context of the scheme. So I don't know that you know I think you have to put slower corners and better schemes and zone heavy looks and things like that and you know, play them off and things like that and so cool. I, 
I think that uh, you know you have to understand get kind of what it is in the context of how the player works or how they fit in the NFL at the next level. You know, I, I don't think many of the drills are. I don't think the drills are as essential for linebackers as we tend to think they are. Not that you you can't be terrible in them, uh, but I think more than anything, the linebacker position is a lot of instincts and reads and you know, key and diagnosing and you know there's the pulling guard. I'm following him. You know, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Like how quickly can you get through your reads and and things? It's like the quarterback kind of 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 uh, the defensive side of the ball where the workouts don't matter as much, but when the tape's on, you better be ready to shine. And so yep. I think that's where it matters for them. Now it certainly matters more today with coverage being a big issue. Uh, so that will be, play a bigger part in linebackers. Traditionally, I would probably say it mattered a lot less than other positions. Um, you know, I think that generally speaking, you know, in the, in the secondary and at the skill positions on offense, you, ha- you need to have pretty good athleticism or you need to have trump cards. And so I think, it, you know, obviously the, be- the better an athlete you can be is never going to hurt you, right? I mean, yep. so obviously that's important in that way. But I think 40 times get hyped up for running backs. But really, if you look year after year, we don't see that many. I think Jeremy Langford was the fastest one like two years ago, and that hasn't really been a big asset for him no, in the NFL. Not at all. So <laughs> I think that it's important to understand that in the context of who the running back is that, you know, they can't be incredibly slow, but – I think at the same time, you know, burst and acceleration or in uh, cutting ability, you know, short area agility, much, much more important than the long speed. Yep. You mentioned, obviously, that, you know, the, the combine is more important for some players than others because of certain trump cards and, and what they what they uh, provide on tape and things like that. If a player has, like, an outstanding combine that you don't really see see that too much on their tape, does it does it make you question your, your tape? Do you go back and, and watch it again and try and try and watch it now that after you've seen the combine does that affect how you view a a certain prospect or is there any examples of that happening for you i think the biggest thing basically is that if you expect a prospect to run fast so they look fast on tape as long as they back that up in the combine it shouldn't so if john ross goes out and he runs a four three flat that shouldn't move john ross on people's evaluations now it may but it shouldn't because John Ross, you know, you expect him to run you know, fast. So, I mean, if he runs fast, you, you may get excited about it in the moment because we're people and it's, an, you know, when something like that happens, our first reaction is, wow, and we want to move a player up like that, even though that's probably, you know, if you ask 434, you know, it's probably what we would have guessed right around there. So yep. it shouldn't be a massive deal to us, you know, when that happens. If John Ross runs slow and is a four late low 4.4s or high 4.4s and 4.5 guy, which isn't going to happen, but – um, if that were to happen, then you go back to the tape and you're like, whoa, like what happened here? You know, because this was different than what I thought it would be. So basically you have your projections for each player and you have the amount of weight that you'll kind of give the 40 for each player. And I think as long as that backs that up reasonably, there's no real need to go back to the tape. And then, you know, where it doesn't and where it fails, either in agilities or explosiveness or whatever part of their workout uh, that matters uh, then I think that's when you go back to the tape and you say, okay, these things didn't match up for me what I saw first time around. You know, let's see why and, and evaluate from there. Cool. Uh, you mentioned uh, the whiteboard sessions earlier. You know, our focus is on the quarterbacks uh, in this class, and uh, and a lot of it, a lot of what we, you know, what we'll see on the on the TV is not as important as what we'll see behind closed doors in in that interview in the whiteboard sessions. Is there a certain quarterback that you think will thrive at that aspect and, and potentially pull away as as a consensus number one, even though we we can't really see it, but we'll hear reports about how well you know some did you know in the whiteboard sessions or the interviews and things like that. 
I think Deshaun Watson's going to kill it. I've been saying that for months. I think he's going to, this is where he's really going to start to establish himself. I don't know whether there'll be a consensus QB one in this group. I, I, yep. I think I compare it to a group a couple years ago, the Bridgewater, Bortles, Manziel, Carr group. Excellent comparison. Was, I think, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, the, you know, pick your flavor and, you know, teams are going to like different guys and like different things for their fits. Uh, everybody offers a little bit something different. Some guys are a little further off mechanically, but offer really tantalizing upside and, you know, so I think that it's a little bit similar to that. that there may not be much of a consensus, but I think Deshaun Watson is going to prove himself uh, really favorably this week. You know, I think he's going to do great in the interviews, great in the whiteboard sessions. He's obviously clearly bright. He's intelligent. You know, he carries himself well. He's a leader. You know, he's been to two national championships and he's young and, you know, three years in college. He graduated in two and a half years as a driven kid. I just think he's going to check all the boxes for teams in that way. You know, I don't think, and I think Mahomes will do better than people, you know, may expect coming out of an air raid type situation. Mm. I think he'll do well in that draft. It wouldn't surprise me at all if coming out of this week, if Mahomes can show that he's cleaned up his footwork and where he's done good things with his footwork, basically because he was always in shotgun. And if he can handle those drops and set up and, and get his platform underneath him, you know, we know he's got a great arm. If he can be accurate, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Watson and Mahomes are the two most talked about quarterbacks after you know this week. Now Kaiser has a chance to do that as well. I'm a little more worried about his accuracy and mechanics because I think Mahomes, if his mechanics are off, his arm's so good it doesn't even always matter. So okay. we may not notice it as much, you know, in the throwing drills. But with Kaiser, when his mechanics are off on tape, it tends to impact his performance much more than it does Mahomes. So because of that, I think that. It could be. This is a big, big stage for Kaiser. Not only in that way, but teams are also going to want to hear what happened with you and, and Brian Kelly. You know what happened in Notre Dame. You know there was obviously some friction there. You know were you gun shy at all at some points because it looked like on tape there were some times where you were. Um, did you have a great mastery of the offense? Teams are going to test, want to test him in that area uh, and see how well he understood things, understood what was happening around him. I, I think in games, Kaiser's a, a really poised player in the pocket, moves well and keeps his eyes downfield and has a very good arm. Uh, it's not Mahomes level. I don't, you know, no one's is. I mean, he's one of the best arms I've ever seen in my life. Um, so I think that this is going to be really important for him to show the right things mechanically. Trubisky could do well here, but I think he struggles a little more on tape uh, in, in some of the higher pressure situations. So this could be a good avenue for him as well. But I really think, I think if Mahomes can show that he's made the improvements people are, are saying that he's made and, you know, put in the work that people are saying he has to really show people off, show off his, his skill set at, at the combine, I think Mahomes and Watson could come away from this as big winners. And could, could Kaiser and, and Trubisky really hurt their value if they don't particularly do well in that aspect? I, I know Trubisky's got limited experience. It's sort of only 13 games at, at, at North Carolina, so... You know, could could they both really hurt their stock at the combine? Is it is it that important that they could you know lose a lot of their value? Everybody can hurt their stock. You know, I mean, it's certainly possible. Um, with Trubisky, the big thing is going to be does his personality, and this is going to sound really pretentious almost, but does his personality appeal to every team? You know, I think one of the biggest things we overlooked last year in the process was. Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz's ability to go into huddles as rookies and take command of an NFL huddle. I thought mm. that was huge with both of them. You know, the confidence and the ability to get everyone else to believe and buy into what they were saying. 
And I'm not saying Trubisky cannot do that. I'm just saying this is a personality that is reserved, you know, a guy that liked to be near home and things like that. And for me, I don't really, you know, I try not to get caught up in that stuff. For teams, though, they're going to care about that kind of stuff. You know, is he a homebody? Is this the kind of guy that is going to inspire people? Is he going to step up as a leader? Is he going to be able to look veterans in the eye and say, follow me? You know, yep. Jameis could do that. Carson could do that. Dak could do that. Um, you know, it's been the calling card for Brady and his ability to do that. Peyton, you know, you think about most of the great ones, and that was what happened with them. And you think yep. about a lot of the ones who fizzled out, and it couldn't. And obviously, it's just part of the puzzle. But I think that's going to be big for Trubisky. I think he'll do fine in the throwing drills. I don't think he'll wow anybody, but I think he'll be very solid there. Um, I think it's more of a, a concern for Kaiser. I don't know if it's a big concern, but I think he's got to show up there and do well. And it is for Mahomes, too. I just think I think I've hear, I like hearing a lot of the things that I've heard so far about what how he's progressed and how he might show up at an event like this. So I think Trubisky, the whiteboard is big for Trubisky and Kaiser in the, in the interviews because – guys with the least amount of experience or with some coaching issues, you know, with Kaiser and, and some, you know, is he going to start every week? You know, it's kind of like, and he, did he regress and why and, and so on and so forth. So um, I think that that session is going to be big for the, both of those. I think Watson and Mahomes will really impress in that area as well. So I, I think that less of an area for a, a, a concern for those two guys. You met you. It's you said something about you know sounding pretentious. I mean, we had reports last year that you know Eli Apple lost stock because he had a personal chef or couldn't couldn't cook for himself. So it's it's funny how much stuff gets weighed up in these interviews. It's just it is insane. Uh, which which prospect would most likely have their own already have their own personal chef? Oh, out of all of them, yeah. Oh, Zach Banner, for sure. USC tackle. Yeah. Oh, man, that guy's like 380 pounds. You know, Definitely. I saw him at the Senior Bowl. He was, they were trying to carry the dessert trays out. He was mid-interview at the podium. He was grabbing stuff off trays and a couple for later in the night. He apparently has a plan in place to lose a lot of weight, but – uh, you know, no question that guy, man. He's definitely got a personal shot. <laughs> Just has his own Arby's. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So, who are, you know, we've talked about sort of the, the philosophical side of combines, but in, in terms of this this class, 330 invites, who are some must-watch athletes at this combine this year? If people, you know, listening to this show, and we've got mostly Australian audiences, they're going to put on NFL Network on their game pass. You know, who are some of the names that they want to keep an eye out while they watch the combine this year? Well, just in terms of pure athleticism, I think there's going to be a lot of impressive 40s in the receiver group. You know, you have some really fast guys. I think somebody like, you know, John Ross is going to run fast. I think Carlos Henderson's going to run fast. Um, I think Taewon Taylor is going to test really well. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's a better athlete than he is a football player. <clears throat> the wide receiver from Western Kentucky. Um, you know, I think Josh Malone has speed. I think Isaiah McKenzie has speed. You know, there's some um, Katie Cannons fast. I mean, you're talking about a number of guys that could light it up. And, and you forget about a little guy like Kermit Whitfield from Florida State, but he might be one of the fastest guys here. You know, a tiny little pocket-sized receiver, running back, hybrid, you know, type of gadget guy. Um, but very, very explosive athlete, and he could do well here as well. You know, D.D. Westbrook uh, is another one, you know, so – um, yeah, there's some. There's definitely a number of receivers I think that could light it up in the 40. I don't think the backs are going to blow anybody away in the 40, uh, and, and that's been the trend the last couple of years. You know, these guys tend not to be quite as fast, and even if the you know the ones that might be the fastest might not be the best guys, and we can't get caught up in that. I really wonder what Camaro runs because I've heard some people say he's not as fast as you know as mm-hmm. we think he is, or 
um, as we think he might be, um, you know, so maybe that's not his calling card and that's okay. But, um, you know, in the tight end group, we're going to see faster tight ends than we've seen. Uh, David Joku, you know, I think um, is going to run really, really well. Yep. OJ Howard's going to run really, really well. Um, Evan Engram's an athlete. Uh, Gerald Everett, whatever you consider him, he's an athlete. He needs to run well, I think. Um, what's Bucky Hodges going to run? He played like 12 snaps in line this year. I don't think he's super fast. Um, you know, I think he's a big receiver. I think he probably needs to be a pretty good athlete to get teams excited about him because he's not a tight end. I mean, he just didn't even play. He didn't even play tight end in college. I don't know why we, do we call him a tight end just cause he's six, seven. Cause he's not one. I, you know, I think he's a receiver. Uh, I'm not super high on him. I think he, what he should do best. He doesn't do that well on tape. So there's gotta be upside there to me, um, to get excited about him and how he's going to test athletically will be big. Um, you know, I think. John U. Smith could run well. Um, you know, there's a Daryl Daniels, the Washington tight end, who no one's talking about. Um, heard he could run in the four fours, so which is nuts uh, because he he was barely even used. Um, you know, yep. there was an article about it the other day that he could run really, really fast and shock people, and he and he looks fast on tape. But you know, he, he doesn't really do anything else well. But nah. uh, yet teams could get excited about his upside. And you know, Adam Shaheen, the, the Ashland kid. Yeah, you know, I'm excited for this kid. Six, yeah. He's like he's listed at like two seventy seven six six. I don't know if he's going to be that big, but Man, he moves pretty well on tape from what I've seen. It's hard. crazy how fast he is. Yeah, moves. yeah, right. So there could be some, and the offensive line group has been not talked about very much, but there's going to be some crazy athletes there. Antonio Garcia, Garrett Bowles, and Cam Robinson are three premier athletes at their positions um, that I think are going to test really well. I don't how much that matters for offensive line. Other people can quantify, but I think those three guys are going to test really well, and I think that. Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp and Dorian Johnson, if he's able to go, you know, are going to be uh, guys who do really well there Sweet. too. And you know, it's a weak offensive line class, and I think those guys will really solidify themselves at the top. Yep. Uh, you mentioned we may forget Kermit Whitfield. I will never forget anyone named Kermit in my life. Um, <laughs> I will remember that guy for the rest of my life now. Uh, so you mentioned a whole heap of names, but who are you like personally most excited to to watch? Like, who's the one guy that you're you're ready to roll. Like you, you, when their names announced that they're coming up, are you going to perk up and say, "All right, let's go"? Well, I tend to spend a lot of my time scouting the edge players uh, and 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 the pass rushers in the class uh, because that's my fair position to scout, and that's kind of what I've been charged with at, at inside the pylon. Yep. <clears throat> and so I think that because of that, <clears throat> there's a couple guys. I mean, that I think really draw my interest. I, you know, I. I really, really like Derek Rivers, the Youngstown State kid. So I really want to see him test well. It's important for small school guys for me to test well, to show that, the, you know, I, but I saw him at the Senior Bowl, see him on tape. I saw him against WVU. You know, I think he's one of the better athletes out there. So I think he'll test really well and, and you know, improve himself well. You know, we've heard a lot about Tack McKinley and what he's going to do. Let's see that. I want to see that. I want to see Solomon Thomas work out. I want to see Tim Williams. You know, uh, Joe Mathis is another favorite of mine, the kid from Washington. And I think he's, you know, a really talented player that, you know, has had injury issues and didn't get on the field enough at Washington and, you know, tr struggled with consistency early on and looked like he was putting it together before a foot injury. You know, I think he's going to do everything at the combine and, and work out well. So, you know, I'm excited to see him and, and watch him perform, you know, because he's a guy that I've caped for for a while. You know, Hassan Reddick might not be an edge. Maybe he's a linebacker, but I think he could test really well, you know, at something yeah, like this. Like he's, he's a premier athlete. Yeah, so there's a lot of guys in the edge group that I'm really excited to watch. Such you know, I think that there group. could be some. Yes, and I, I've loved Carl Lawson for years now. So, I, I you know, and I know athletically he's not going to be Miles Garrett or Tim Williams or Tack, um, but 
I want to see him test well enough to to stay where he is in my rankings, which is pretty high, you know, top of the top half of the first round. Um, I want to see him test well enough to solidify that because he's not a great athlete, you know, not an elite athlete, but I think he's a very good one, and he and he makes the most of what he has and wins in in his own way on tape. So um, I, I'm a big Carl Lawson fan, and I just hope he can solidify that for himself. Yep, I mentioned. Uh... You know, quarterbacks killing it in the interview prospect uh, process, and you mentioned just a minute ago, you know, Tim Williams. How how important is you know for him because you hear Ran- Randy Gregory's name get thrown up a lot when you, when we hear when we talk about him. You know, how important you know for him is is this interview process and in trying to set the record straight on on the the really troubling concerns about him, and if he can set everyone's mind at ease, you know, what, what's the ceiling for where he could be taken in this draft? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, Tim Williams is a very, very good player for me. He's my second ranked edge guy. And so I think that he's a very good player. You know, I think the big question with Tim Williams is, are his issues to the point of Randy Gregory's, which was the rumor I've been hearing that for a long time. And it kind of just came out a couple months ago was that, that, you know, is kind of the, the comparison there. So I think it's just important for him. You know, he's got to be able to prove to teams it's not that big of an issue and he loves football and he's willing to work at it and he cares about it. And, um, you know, it's going to be really hard for us to evaluate that on the outside because you hear that a guy's, you know, issues are like Gregory. And if that's true, they he can't get drafted in the first round, period, no matter how good he is. And I think he's a top five, top six, top seven type guy. Um, but can't get drafted in the first round uh you just can't uh if you're if you're if you have those kind of issues because gregory's barely been on the field he's been in rehab there's just too much going on uh you know so the way the nfl is currently set up that can't be an option for you if the issues are that bad it's going to be really hard for us to say or any team really say oh the issues are 100 percent that bad um unless it's overwhelmingly obvious that this guy has a serious drug issue so yep. i think that's going to be really the ball is going to be in the team's court i'm not sure ever sure what to do with situations like that in my rankings um, I kind of move all over the place. If I hear something significant like Kim DT last year, where it was kind of clear on the field, he wasn't all there. I didn't think mentally he was all there as a player. I didn't think he was engaged all the time as a player. Um, and then there was the off the field stuff. So the combination of all that really turned me off to him. Okay. Uh, but with Williams, when he's on the field, he's great. And as far as I know, he's dedicated and he works hard and all that stuff. You know, I just, maybe he has a problem with drugs when he's not on the field, you know? So that became becomes very hard for you to kind of quantify in your rankings, which makes it tough. It always, always does. All right, my last question for you is what are your plans for the combine? You know, what does John Ledyard get up to in Indy during the combine? Well, I think my biggest thing is I'll be there this year, actually, at the combine. So that'll yep. be exciting and, and fun. And um, so I'm looking forward to talking with players, um, I think, more than anything. I'll see the workouts in the morning, and some of that stuff, you know, will be great, I think. But yep. I think the biggest thing will be for me it's you know, is – talking to these players and and you know seeing where they're at seeing how they come off you know and things like that it's good but it's also very hard i can't put too much stock into it so i've got to be careful i don't want to you know love a player's personality and and make him rank him too high as a result or anything like that so um it's a part of the process that i'm starting to be more open to the last couple years um but i've got to evaluate that with a grain of salt too because it's just part of it and you know, I can't take it too heavily, but I think that part is really intriguing to me this year and seeing how they come off, you know, from a mental perspective and, you know, for, from a personality perspective. Awesome. I uh, I look forward to reading your tweets and, and, and looking at your content throughout the Combine and checking out uh, all of your stuff on uh, uh, Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and and Breaking the Plane. John John Ledyard, before we let you go, anything you want to plug uh, before, uh, before we let you go? Because I know you've got... Plenty of interviews lined up. You're a man in demand, and that's uh, a credit to your work. (laughs) 
Well, I appreciate that a lot, but I just uh, no, I just thank you guys for having me on. I mean, this is a great show. People should really, you know, listen to it frequently. I love what you guys do, and uh, you know, I just uh, always fun coming on and talking prospects with you guys. It's always great to have you, and uh, enjoy the combine. And uh, you know, on the final night, don't go don't go too hard out. All right, I won't. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. All right, big thanks to John Ledyard for joining the show and co-hosting the show. Uh, he had he had about three other podcast interviews lined up today, so he had to get rolling, so he couldn't quite finish the show uh, in, in this segment, so we had to let him run. But a uh, big thanks to him for joining the show. And as I said, you can check his work out on scout.com where he covers the Steelers. You can check his work out on Inside the Pylon. Um, give him a follow on Twitter, at Ledyard NFL Draft. And he's got two uh, podcasts, Breaking the Plane and Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. That is... A daily show, and it's it's very very helpful in terms of just getting an understanding of of what to look for on certain uh, certain athletes. And he, he rattled off a whole heap of names there that he's watched, and uh, and we're excited for the combine and things like that. So that's it for the show, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week to preview free agency and uh, and uh, look at all that, and and maybe make some predictions on where we want to see some prospects go and where we expect some uh, free agents to go. Sorry, not prospects. I'm I'm still in draft mode. But, uh, yeah, so we'll have plenty of free agency stuff, and then we'll bring you draft interviews all the way up until the NFL draft. And uh, we'll try and keep things a little bit light here and there, and we'll have some more uh, topical stuff, such as pineapple on pizza and uh, and things like that. So that wraps up the show. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at JYNFL. You can follow the show at Wooten Y, and you can catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, Wooshka, Radio Hub. Give us a like on Facebook as well, and uh, we'll be back next week. Look forward to it. It's good to be back. Thanks, guys.